There's a couple things in there, but the main idea is that you're not that happy in your job. You might want to do something different. You want to follow your curiosity. You've got some ideas mm-hmm. and things you might want to try, um, but you're afraid of, of failure, of going out and, and things not working out. And that fear is mm-hmm. not unusual, right? We all deal with fear. Um, it's very common for the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, and the fear of judgment to hold people back from following their dreams. Yellow Tape is an acute media original. I'm MD. Our career paths have different dynamics, transition, challenges, lessons, you name it. At one point in time, you might have heard someone say, well, I think it's time for a new challenge. Or maybe I need a better work-life balance. All these are normally geared towards owning your career. This 25th installment delves into what it really means to own your career. To help me break this down, I'm joined by Andy Storch. All right, Andy, thank you so much for joining us on this particular episode. Um, for someone who's not familiar with Andy Storch, how would you best describe yourself? Uh, how would I best describe myself as a uh, fun, charismatic, um, inspiring, and energetic uh, individual? I am, you know, I work as a consultant, a, an author, a speaker, a coach. Uh, I see myself really as a connector, uh, a bridge builder. I love connecting people and bringing people together. Um, I've been a speaker and a facilitator now for a few years. And uh, I'm also, I uh, consider myself a, a husband, a father, and a friend to many people. And those are the things that are really the most important to me. Um, and overall, I am on a mission to inspire more people to take ownership of their careers to prepare for the future and really to live life with intention. That's what I'm all about. And I'm doing that uh, through my book, through speaking, through training programs uh, and conversations with great people like you. Thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. I, I, I love how you, you've really um, put it together and you, you know, you said like you want to inspire people to grow on their career and, uh, you know, take charge, become intentional. I remember my earlier days into my career. There were a number of transitions, trying new ways here and there looking for places to learn with the intent of having more control on my path. These activities are not only present in the initial days. I happen to be undertaking some presently. To the best of my understanding, this is owning your career. Would you describe this as owning your career? So for me, owning your career means that you take full responsibility for everything that is going on in your career and your life. It means you don't wait for others to tell you what to do or where to go. If you have a dream, if you have a goal, you have something you want to achieve, somewhere you want to get to, then you don't sit around waiting for permission. Rather, you start making a plan, you set goals, and you take action towards that. It also means that you take full responsibility for everything that happens, including all the challenges that come up. Because they may not always be your fault or having to do you know, directly coming from your actions, but they still are, you know, your responsibility to deal with. And I find a lot of people are operating. And, and one of the reasons I wrote the book is a lot of people are drifting through their careers, waiting for other people to tell them what to do. Um, they're operating in reaction mode and being victims a lot of the time, you know, just kind of blaming others, uh, waiting for other people, you know, waiting for permission. Um, and I want to shift that uh, mindset and flip that narrative 
And so owning the, your career is really about taking full responsibility no, for no matter for your situation, no matter what, and saying, okay, what can I change? What's within my control? Uh, I'm not going to necessarily wait for others. Obviously, there's some things we need permission for, but I'm going to take initiative and go after what I want to achieve in my career and my life. So um, I really like how you you said it. it's about like someone not um, taking full responsibility and not really reacting to the situation. Indulge me for a second. I'd like to give you an example with my case. So uh, I'm sure you've seen this because you have a podcast on uh, instructional design and development. I'm one of those persons who there's a phrase coined called accidental instructional designers. And mine actually was quite interesting because it's LinkedIn that gave a suggestion like, hey, your profile matches these. Can you apply for these? So for my case, it was more of a reaction. Well, I think you're not alone. I think most people, many, many, many people, if not more than you know, the majority of people in the world would say they got into their career sort of accidentally, right? Um, their parents recommended it to them. Uh, they met a friend in high school or university who told them, hey, you should try this out. Um, you know, were desperate sometimes to find something right that they could do and, and took the first yeah. job that came along. Mm -hmm. So owning your career and the work that I'm doing is not about feeling guilty for the past or how we got to where we are. I mean, I have personally been on a long meandering journey with many different jobs, many different mm -hmm. failures. Uh, you know, for most of my twenties and some of my thirties, I didn't really feel like I knew where I was going. I felt a little bit lost and I learned so many lessons on the way, and that's what this is all about. So it's not about feeling guilty for the past. And mm -hmm. it's great if you have, you know, and you accidentally stumbled upon this career of instructional design, and you really, if you really like doing it, that's fantastic. Let's let's put a plan together to get you where you want to go within that. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't, then that's okay too. Then let's start figuring out where you might want to go next. Um, so it's not about feeling guilty for the past mm -hmm. or you know any mistakes we may have made. It's more about okay, this is the situation I'm in right now. Mm -hmm. um, who am I? Where do I want to be in the future? And then let me make a plan to get me there. It is quite challenging for someone to really have clarity on where they want to go or what they would like to achieve. So people end up drifting, just doing whatever that works. A case that I came across recently is an individual transitioning into a different, totally different career path. How would you recommend for, because I think like a lot of us are in this particular situation whereby you're drifting through life, you're trying to figure yourself out. What are some of the tips you have in terms of getting that clarity, having that clear vision in terms of where you want to go? And then, of course, once that you have that, then you can create a plan towards that. I believe that all of this, the foundation for owning your career and setting your vision, knowing where to go is it starts with self-reflection and self-awareness. It's a simple concept, yet most people don't do it. A simple concept that's free, by the way, and most people don't take the time to do it because we've got a lot of things coming at us all the time, right? Emails and work and social media notifications and text messages and our spouse and our kids want things from us and like all this stuff going on, right? Um, so it almost seems like a luxury to sit down with a cup of coffee or tea and a notebook, a journal for 30 minutes in a quiet space and ask yourself some important questions. You know, who am I? How did I get to where I am right now? What are my strengths? What are the things that I'm really good at? What are some of my weaknesses that have kind of held me back or I don't want to be doing in my career? What energizes me? What lights me up in the work that I do? Um, and then thinking about the work that you're doing right now. What do I like about it? What do I not like about it? Is this something I want to continue doing for the next five years and beyond? Or do I want to be doing something completely different? And if it's something different, 
what are some things that you get excited about? And this is really important. What are some things that you're curious about? Because I'm a big fan of following your curiosity rather than following your passion. So like, what are you interested in? What are you curious about? Could you take on an extra project in that area? Do you want to maybe try that in your career? Because especially if in your 20s or 30s, you're young, like we are young. I'm 41. And I think of myself as young uh, with plenty of time to try different things. I don't put pressure that like, oh, I have to have it all figured out, you know, by a certain age, mm -hmm. you know, be, be willing to try stuff. We could talk about mindset and this idea of growth mindset, but you know, be willing to try stuff. But it starts with really like understanding who you are. And then the other thing you can do there, two other things is think about people you admire, who you, you know, you really like the things that they're doing. What can you learn from them? Could you even, you know, have a chance to ask them a question or, you know, maybe if they're a famous author or speaker or something, maybe you can at least just study them and follow their content. You could learn some things from them and get ideas. And then the other thing is talk to your friends and colleagues and get some feedback, right? You know, say, uh, you know, Dixon, I, I've been thinking about shifting my career a little bit to do something like this. What do you think about that? Or what do you see in me yep. that could be really useful that maybe I'm not seeing in myself? Um, because something I found in doing like a lot of leadership work over the last 10 years is a lot of times we're not really aware of our strengths. Our friends and colleagues see them better than we do. Because we just assume that, oh, if I'm good at something, then probably everybody's good at that. When that is not the yeah. truth at all, right? Your friends are looking at you going, oh my gosh, how do you do that? Like, mm -hmm. I can't do that. Um, and I have some of those things that I'm really good at and some that I'm not. And I've become more aware of those. And that's allowed me to design a career that I love, that leverages my strengths and doesn't have me spending so much time yeah. on my weaknesses. So you look at the things that you... We are constantly faced with the fear of the unknown, the fear of making decisions. Like... You have this safe job that you're not happy waking up to. You wake up on Monday, you've already started longing for Friday. It's Sunday night and you're like, no, not again. So you hold on because you have bills to pay. Talk to someone in such a situation. How do they approach the transition? There's a couple things in there, but the main idea is that you're not that happy in your job. You might want to do something different. You want to follow your curiosity. You've got some ideas mm -hmm. and things you might want to try, um, but you're afraid of, of failure, of going out and, and things not working out. And that fear is mm -hmm. not unusual, right? We all deal with fear. Um, it's very common for the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, and the fear of judgment to hold people back from following their dreams. And I mentioned, you referred back to it, the idea of growth mindset. This comes from a book called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success by uh, a woman uh, named Carol Dweck, who's a Stanford University mm -hmm. professor in California. Uh, and it's a great book. It, it changed everything for me in my own mindset as a business person and as a parent. But I could summarize it very simply here. She basically says that people operate with one of two mindsets, either a fixed mindset. And with a fixed mindset, we believe we're either mm -hmm. good at something or we're not. Uh, so you're either smart or you're not. You're creative or you're not, right? Therefore, if we try something and it doesn't work out, we feel like we're a failure and we should go do something else, right? And we fear that failure. So most people with a fixed mindset will spend more of their time in the things they're familiar with, the things that they're good at. Now, conversely, with a growth mindset, Growth mindset means basically, I believe I can always improve at anything, right? I can get better at anything. I can try this thing. And if I keep practicing, 
I will get better, even if I'm really, I'm really bad in the beginning. Now, you may not be the best in the world. For instance, I play basketball every week, and I am not that great of a basketball player, but I'm, I'm okay. It's fun. It's a good exercise, right? Now, I could start practicing more. I could hire a coach, and I guarantee you, I will get better at basketball. I will never be the best in the world. I'm a 41-year-old man who's like only six feet tall, right? I'm never going to be the best basketball player. We're never going to make the NBA, right? But I will get better if I practice. I will improve. Now that can be true for anything. And the other thing that she talks about in the book is the idea, and I talked about this in my book as well, with a growth mindset, you're almost like you can convince yourself to get really hungry for that growth. And therefore trying new things is fun because it means you're going to learn something, you're going to grow, right? And I firmly believe that with a growth mindset, there really is no such thing as failure. There's only learning and growth. So as long as you're committed to learning from the experience, then it'll be fine. Now, that's not to say it might not be painful if you quit your job and try something else and that doesn't work. And then you've got to find another job and maybe you lose some money or whatever. It, it, it might be hard, but it, a lot of times if you study like the most successful people, they all have mm -hmm. major failures in their past. And they, you know, they go back to those as like a turning point for them, you know, when they tried something that didn't work out. I have many failures in my past um, that have got me to where I am today. The other thing you mentioned in there is, you know, there are some people that might want to try something different, but they're they're just letting failure hold them, you know, fear of failure holding them back. Many people also have, you know, realistic concerns, right? Like you've got a a loan on your house, you've got a, a wife and or a husband and kids, mm -hmm. right? You've got mouths to feed and you know, you can't afford to just take like six months to go try some new career or something, right? Um, but what you could do is start a side job, a side gig, a side hustle, as people call it, right? Um, take on little projects on the side. Think about how you're managing your time and what are you spending your time on. And if you're working, you know, 40 or 50 hours a week in your main job, is there an opportunity to spend 10 or 20 hours a week on this side thing to see if it's something that you like and that maybe you can make money in, whether it's a business or like a part-time job and start to like try that out. And if it's something you think is going to work for you, then, you know, work out a financial plan and maybe you can get yourself to a point where, hey, I'm willing to take this leap and take this new job or start this business. And I'm going to give myself, you know, three months, six months, whatever it is. And when it doesn't work out, I may have to go back and get this other job, but yeah. that's okay, right? I think a lot of times people think about doing these new things and they they get so scared of rejection. Like the place we go in our mind is, and then I'm going to be homeless yeah. on the streets, right? But if you have a marketable skill, right? Like you already have a job doing something, especially if it's a like a knowledge type job, there's a good chance you're going to be able to get that job again at some point, a job like it, right? Uh, and therefore, like the worst case, a lot of times for people, the worst case is that they end up back where they are before. And you're already in that situation. So that means you're already mm -hmm. in your worst case scenario. So you might as well give it a shot and see. Um, the last thing I'll add about this, because this is a big driver for me, is I will often consult my future self so I'll ask my, you know, 80 or 90 year old Andy, hey, what do you wish that I would have done, right? Did you want me to take that chance or would you rather me play it safe? And what are you going to regret more, trying something and failing or not trying at all? And for me, I really want to make sure that I fulfilled my true potential and did everything mm -hmm. I could while I'm on this earth. And so I don't want to get to the end and have any regrets that like, oh, I wanted to try that new thing, but I was so afraid I never did it. Um, that really drives me. And I think if other people really start to think about that, 
Um, they will as well. Cause there's, there's a famous book out of Australia, a woman in Australia wrote called the top five regrets of the dying after she interviewed several people who were in like nursing homes on their deathbed. And the number one regret of the dying was I did not live a life true to myself. I regret that I did not live a life true to myself. So, you know, you can think about that too. And like, what's going to be my big regret? What am I going to wish that I had done? Or what will I prefer to do? if I look back on my life and let that drive your, your decision. That's, that's quite powerful. I feel like we need to end this podcast here and just leave that <laughs> with that particular. <laughs> with that part. Yeah, I, I do. I certainly do agree with you. I think uh, there's, uh, and I like the, the aspect of if you have a job, try to do something that you're driven and passionate and uh, curious about on the side, uh, sort mm. of you learning through the process. And I think it, it really touches on and also how, Things are sort of changing. Tech is changing. It's uh, uh, it's providing more opportunities and uh, at the same time also making other positions redundant. And, and and that gets me to the thinking of traditionally when you're thinking about career, it, it meant if you're a teacher, that's it for you. Um, if you are um, a pilot, that's mm. it for you. But 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 right now I think things are sort of changing. Job hoping can be beneficial and sometimes it can be harmful to your career progression. Like Dory Clark, who started off as a as a journalist, uh, um, then moved on to become a, um, an entrepreneur, moved on to become an author, speaker, and all that. What should you comment on this? Yeah, I, I see a lot of people making those changes, and you know they start out as attorneys or engineers or journalists or whatever it may be and then get attracted to something else. And they can use some of that experience and skills they have, but you know they're kind of burnt out on being mm-hmm. that, you know, doing that job they're doing and they want to try something different. I, I think it's great. I think we, we are lucky to live in a time where it's easier than ever to change careers. It's easier than ever to find a new job if you're looking for one, right? Just going online, LinkedIn, whatever it may be. Um, you know, it, it's easier than ever to find new opportunities. It's easier than ever to start a business and make money doing the thing you do running your own business with the internet and social media. You know, our grandparents did not have this luxury, mm-hmm. right? They, they could not do that, right? They had to go, you're like, you, you have to go set up an office and it, it wouldn't be able to do it that much easily in your spare time. So we have that opportunity. And I think a lot of people uh, resist that drive to go do something else because they don't want to like quote throw away their experience right let's say you're a lawyer and you spent like four years of education plus you know internships or all this studying and then 10 years becoming a pretty good lawyer it would seem like you're you know quote throwing it away by changing careers to get into marketing or whatever it is um but first of all we are. We know the lawyer. The, the world has way too many lawyers already. So <laughs> that's a joke. Um, but you, like, it's okay because you're leveraging that experience that you have to take you to go to the place where you want to go next. And you don't like you. You're not committed to that one career. You don't have to stay in that career. And you could go back there later. Um, but again, going back to that term, like, follow your curiosity. What are you curious about? What could you try? Could you do a little bit of work on the side and then decide, mm-hmm. wow, I really do love marketing. I'm going to do marketing full time. And mm-hmm. if I need to go back to law later, I will. Um, and But you could also like combine those things and say, I'm going to do marketing for law firms, right? I'm going to work do work for attorneys um, or lawyers who want marketing help because I've figured out how to do that. In fact, I have a friend here locally who is an attorney who did such a great job with marketing for his law firm 
that now he started a business and he's just full-time does marketing for other lawyers because he's found that's a skill. He can still practice law, right? But he's not. He's doing marketing instead. So there's like a lot of cool things that we can do in our careers, leveraging the experience and skills we already have, and then transitioning into something new. When you mentioned about your friend, it got me thinking like, this is someone who understands the business language of law. And now he he has a marketing mm-hmm. language. So he can be able to fuse those two and tell a very incredible story. I, I see how you can have these careers and then they can be able to intertwine. And one thing that's really uh, standing out is that in this entire process, you have to be curious, meaning you have to constantly keep on learning. Yes. And I want you to talk a little bit about the talent development community that you're currently running. Talk a bit about it because I'm sure it has a lot of learning. It's there's a lot of, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. an opportunity to build connections and network and all kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. I'm glad you mentioned curiosity. Um, sometimes I get asked, you know, what what are the top skills or what's the top skill I should be thinking about developing to help me be successful in the future? And I think the number one skill that will mm-hmm. uh, be a key driver of success for people in any industry, any career, is curiosity. You know, when you lead with curiosity, you're always looking to find out what's the next thing you're learning about the latest trends, right? Which is really important to help you prepare for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of making assumptions, you're asking questions. Um, I've looked at, you know, when you study uh, so many companies that have been disrupted over the years and and gone out of business, uh, it's because they didn't have enough curiosity, right? They created a culture where people said, if someone, if someone suggested something, they said, Oh, we've already tried that before. It doesn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of asking questions, and trying to learn as much as you can. Uh, and also, I think that can eliminate a lot of conflicts, right? If we if we stop making assumptions and we replace that with curiosity instead, right? Instead of assuming what people are thinking or, or what they're saying. Um, but curiosity, like there's so much to learn in this world. And I find the more questions I ask and the more I learn, um, the more mm-hmm. possibilities open up to me. And so I always want to make sure I reiterate that to people that emphasize the importance of curiosity, no matter what you're doing, um, to be asking questions, you know, reading books, listening to podcasts, taking online courses, joining communities, networking, talking to other people, asking them what they're working on, what they're doing, try to learn as much as you can. And related to that, uh, you mentioned the community I run. So, and I've been a member of many communities where I've learned from others. So I have a podcast called the Talent Development Hot Seat that's all about corporate talent development. Um, interviewed a lot. I interview a lot of uh, heads of learning and HR and things like that. And uh, two years ago, I hosted a conference with my friend Bennett Phillips called the Talent Development Think Tank. Uh, I was in California here in the U.S. And we had uh, some great speakers like Josh Burson and Liz Weissman um, and and really a a lot of um, great people there. And our kind of philosophy with that was that we wanted to create something that was interactive and experiential so people could learn from each other because there weren't a lot. I didn't see a lot of that in the conference world. It was a lot of just one presenter and you learn from them and that's it. But I thought there's an opportunity to let people learn from each other. Um, And then when the pandemic hit in 2020 and everything got shut down and I knew we wouldn't be going to conferences anymore, I started this membership community as a way to keep people connected in the talent development world and let them continue to learn from each other as well as speakers. Uh, And so it's called the Talent Development Think Tank. It's been around for nearly two years now. We meet virtually, you know, on Zoom once a week. I bring in guest speakers from different uh, parts, often guests from the podcast and, and other experts in my network. We have open forum calls where we pick a topic like performance management or leadership development and just let people share the questions they have and the things they're working on, the challenges they have. And, you know, at the end of the day, like I, 
humans are social creatures. And so I believe that we really need to learn from each other and get help from each other in order to succeed. We're not made to do things on our own. And so I wanted to create an opportunity for people to be able to do that within the talent development world. Uh, I'm also working on creating something similar uh, for career development called the Own Your Career Community that will allow people to do something similar, connect with each other, um, you know, with regular speakers, do questions and answers and, and things like that, because I want to help more people grow in their careers. And this seems to be something that's really effective. Just search for Talent Development Think Tank online or visit andystorch.com. There is a tab on Talent Development Community. Get to learn, connect, and grow from the resources on this website. Social capital is developed by networking. Networking is quite an extensive topic from perceptions that we have, expectations, and how to go about it. Hopefully, we can get a dedicated episode for that. But for this one, just a few tips from Andy. What are some of the advice you can recommend to someone who who wants to grow his or her professional network? Ah, yeah. So networking is is so critical, I think, for future success. It's something that has helped Mm -hmm. me immensely in my career. I mean, there's one thing that has been... Uh, contributed more than anything else to my success. It's been building my network. It's been relationships that I've built mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, every job and business opportunity I've gotten in my career pretty much has come from my network, from personal relationships. And I've made many of those from going to conferences. Now, when you're mm-hmm. thinking about going to conferences, and you and I are recording this early in 2022, I'm starting to see a lot of conferences coming back this year, which is really cool to see after a couple of years off, right? And there's a lot of online opportunities as well. Um, I think a lot of times people get attracted to a conference because of the speakers. Oh, I'm going to go learn from this person. You know, I've been following them. But you may not, depending on how big the conference is or the meeting, you like you may not get a chance to really talk to them. And I think over time, we don't necessarily remember the things that we heard or learned from the speakers, but we do remember the relationships that we built. We remember the people that we met, right? Especially if we keep in touch with them. So while a lot of people go to conferences for the speakers, I go to conferences for the people that I'm going to meet. I think about who's going to be attracted to this conference, who might I meet there, and that's who I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about going to a conference. Now, when you do go to these things or you attend an online uh, summit or virtual event, I'm usually trying to be proactive, right, and reaching out to people because not everybody else is that way. So find the people that you want to connect with, um, make a note of the people that you did connect with, uh, follow up, keep in touch, right? Um, And when it comes to networking, some of the key things I, I use and often remind people of is number one, lead with curiosity. No surprise, right? Uh, but we talked about the importance of curiosity. Ask people questions about themselves. Try to get to know them. Don't feel like you need to pitch them or sell them on you. Just ask them questions to get to know them. Um, there's a very famous book by a guy named Dale Carnegie called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It was written in the US in the 1930s. And in that book, Uh, Mr. Carnegie said that everybody's favorite subject is themselves. And it's still true today. It's been, uh, you know, 90 years and that has not changed, right? It doesn't matter what culture you're in, who you are. Everybody loves talking about themselves. Um, So let people talk about themselves, ask them questions, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. the second thing is seek to give value before asking for things as much as possible, right? To give more than you take. Um, You may not always know what that is in the beginning, but if you can give people value, if you can help them in some way, whether it's professionally or personally, it could be as big as helping somebody find a job or a referral. It could be as small as 
you know, recommending something that their kids might like or a restaurant that you like, right? Any of those things could be helpful to them. Um, but leave with curiosity, try to give as, uh, you know, before you receive or more than, than you take um, and be helpful to others. And that's going to really take you very far. And then, you know, the third thing is remember that like everybody's busy. So sometimes you got to follow up. Um, patience and persistence. You know, I reach out to a lot of people. I network with a lot of people on LinkedIn. I've made a lot of friends on there. And um, sometimes I got to follow up two or three times if I want somebody to respond and vice versa. Sometimes people need to follow up with me two or three times to get a response from me. That's just the nature of the world we live in. So don't take it personally. Just, uh, you know, follow up when you need to. But that's that has helped me build a network. Go where people are. Be intentional about it. Be curious. Seek to help others and give value. Uh, and follow up as much as necessary. Oh. Man, you are dropping bombs. <laughs> I believe it is a superb idea to seek knowledge first. What I will add is this way you get to build a different rapport compared to initially asking for help. In other words, start networking before you need it. It should not be a case of desperation leading you to say hello. Surprisingly, networking can even start from conversations or things you post online. And I'll suggest finding topics that are quite niche and sharing them. When you confirm that you'll be doing this, I ask guys, okay, I'm meeting this guy. Um, he's called Andy. He's an expert when it comes to career. He's an expert when it comes to building relationship. And I actually told them, we met on LinkedIn and I actually got the courage to reach out to you from a podcast that I had you say, just reach out to them and say hi and say, I had you in this podcast. And 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 and, and one, one question that, that, that really came out from the guys who engaged with was, so most of the guys who listen to this podcast, or some of them are still job seekers. They are in their early 20s. They are still, uh, you know, they're finishing their college and university. And then when they think of LinkedIn, they're thinking of it as this professional space set up. And sometimes it is really hard to know how do you carry yourself? What kind of post do you put up on LinkedIn? And, and when you see when you see a HR manager um, and you definitely want a job, what are the right words to use? When is the right time to actually say, mm. okay, I have this CV. Can you look at it? You know, what, what, what are some of the comments you have yeah. specifically on a situation of a job seeker? Yeah. And I want you to know it's someone who's really desperate. Okay. Fair enough. That, that's good context. Uh, first and foremost, I am not an expert on the job search. I do have many friends, uh, career uh, coaches in my network who are better at the, mm -hmm. the, the tactical things on resumes and interviews and who to reach out to and that sort of stuff. I, I'm, I'm taking more of a broader approach. Uh, but I have been using LinkedIn to build my network for many years. So I'm a big fan of first and foremost, to the extent you can, uh, to dig your well before you're thirsty. So start building the network before you need it, right? And give before mm -hmm. you're asking for things. Um, but I recognize that people are desperate sometimes. They really need a job or trying to get out of the job that they're in. Um, I would definitely start networking with uh, companies and people that you might want to work there or uh, have jobs that you might want, right? So if you're trying to work in finance, then, you know, go connect with people who work in, in finance, right? Um, and if you can, you know, and you have some time, one of my favorite tactics is to go connect with people who are doing jobs that are like the job you want and connect with them and ask them for an informational interview. You know, um, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about changing jobs or taking a career in this position. I'm looking for a new job. I'm not asking you for a job. I'm just asking you, would you take some time to share with me about your career and tell me what you like about it? You know, what are some things maybe I might need to learn to get into it? Um, when you're just asking people for their advice, I find people are very open 
and willing to give it to you. Uh, when you start asking people for a job, that puts them in an awkward position, right? Because they're like, well, I don't know who you are. I don't have a job for you. Um, I don't want to put my reputation, because you're asking them to put their reputation on the line, essentially, right? Um, you know, if you say, hey, will you pass my resume along? Uh, but you could be asking for informational interviews and saying, can I learn from you? Which gives you an opportunity to network, showcase your skills a little bit. Um, going back to like how to be on LinkedIn, I, you know, you're asking that question. I was thinking, uh, professional, but letting your personality shine through, right? I think people like to see a little bit of that, not boring robots, but like being professional, but fun or whatever your, you know, whatever your personality is, letting that out a little bit um, and being curious, right? And asking people questions. Um, if you are really desperate, right? Find the recruiters, the HR managers, the talent acquisition people who are managing job, rec I guess they call them requisitions in some places, right? Um, in companies and try to connect with them and just say, Hey, I'm, I'm reaching out to you, you know, respectfully, I'm interested in a job in your company. And I'm wondering if you are the person that works on those things. Again, not asking them for something, but just being respectful, recognizing that they have a ton of work to do. Right. And lots of people coming at them and probably mm -hmm. half of them are rude or like weird. And so if you're just respectful and kind, you probably stand out from a lot of other people. Uh, and then I would just keep doing that and trying to make those connections. And LinkedIn is a, is such a great place to do it. Uh, when you send a connection request, I always send a personalized invite, right? And, and add some context as to why you're reaching out. And uh, I think you find some success that way. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I mean, there's nothing to add on to that. I think you've you've really nailed it um, in terms of even the messaging was really was really accurate. I like the idea of going out there seeking for more of information, like okay, can you advise me on this? Because I think then people, like you said, yeah. people, are being, people are more willing to share with you, you know, their knowledge, stuff that they know. And, and uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Another thing that um, I came to notice is when you use especially social media to tell stories about a particular field, yes, you might not be having, and this is something I've actually told people to actually try is, uh, so if you want a field in medicine, try to talk, you know, share stories about medicine, you know, if it's, you know, yeah. talk about COVID, um, you know, just provide some, some information. This, this, I, I think it's quite easy because you can, you can research, you know, some of this information, then you give it, give it a bit of context in your, in your area, for example. Yeah. So I think that is, that's also something that, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Is it something, <laughs> do you find success in that? Yeah. I mean, the, I think the more specific uh, you can get on the niche or the industry you want to be in, and then you can mm -hmm. focus your research and connections in that area, it's going to be a lot easier for you versus just starting with, I want a job, but well, what kind of job do you want? I don't know. Well, now there's, you know, 8 billion people to reach out to in the world. Um, but if you know, I want to find a job in finance, in the automotive industry in Kenya, then you can start to get a lot more focused. And now you're searching LinkedIn and maybe there's only 500 people instead of 5 billion people and so you can start to yeah. get more focused in who you're reaching out to and the questions you're asking and start to build your expertise in that area. I'd like to switch things a little bit and um, talk about where the world is moving. I mean, we cannot really ignore, we've spoken about how tech has changed our careers, how tech is, is changing how we look for jobs. And, and now tech is sort of moving towards this new fascinating universe called Metaverse. And you've been quite vocal yeah. about... Um, about NFT, and, and you actually have a podcast where you basically walk guys from what NFT is all the way. Just in summary, this is a new term, and 
it's quite scary. It's quite, you know, it, it, it feels sometimes like a bubble that's about to burst. But just let's start with what, what is NFT? So, um, yeah, th- I mean, it's such a huge topic, but the idea of Web3, and Web3 generally consists of like blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, um, I think is, is absolutely changing the world and worth looking at and and following along, if not really getting into. And the idea is that uh, Web 1.0 was when the internet came about and everything went online. And this happened at least in the U.S. in 1996, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. Um, you know, companies like Amazon and eBay started, uh, PayPal and things like that. Uh, and then Web 2 was uh, the advent of social media, you know, Facebook and Instagram and uh, LinkedIn being part of that as well. And it really changed the way that companies market to people and um, the way we communicate with each other and really allowed entrepreneurs and people to kind of go and build their own brands in a marketing fashion. Web3 is this idea of decentralization in that like we all can kind of uh, run our own little um, business in our in our world. Doesn't You don't have to be running a business, but it, it's things being more decentralized, less uh, administration from, you know, certain companies. And I think, you know, with cryptocurrency, it's like the democratization of money because, you know, it's not big New York banks or London banks that are controlling everything. Um, it's it's kind of power to the people. Now, we'll see if it works out. I don't know where it's all going to go. Um, but one of the things I love about that, you know, especially with you and I being on different continents, um, you know, today, if if you move to the U.S. and then you wanted to send money back to your family in Kenya, right, you have to go through Western Union or some um, third party that would take a, a chunk of, of money, like change from that, right? A charge a fee. But if, you know, if we're all using Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency, um, it's one currency that translates into any other currency around the world, right? And can be, you know, transferred uh, almost seamlessly, not quite, you know, it has to go through the blockchain. Um, and the idea of the blockchain is that, you know, there's thousands or millions of computers around the world that are essentially verifying transactions. So, um, it's really hard for anybody to like steal or, you know, um, you know, for fraud scams, that sort of thing. Now that stuff happens on an individual basis. And then NFTs, where I'm really excited about that is it's essentially like the digitization, the tokenization of assets, um, that for companies, for art, for creators, and um, what we're seeing right now is, you know, as NFTs have gotten really popular, is um, they're kind of like digital assets. It's a lot of art, right, that people are trading. Um, but there are a lot of things that include intellectual property, IP, or access. Um, and it creates whole new opportunities for creators, for artists, uh, even for entrepreneurs who uh, can create things and go directly to consumers, right, without going through a middleman or a gallery. Um, and people are able to buy this digital art and show it off to anybody in the world, right? So if I buy physical art and I display it in my house, um, Dixon, there's a good chance you're probably never going to see that, right? Like even most of my friends in the U.S. that don't live within five miles of me will probably never see it, right? Only people who come over to my house will ever see that art. But if I own a dig, you know, a piece of digital art, I can put it in a virtual gallery. I can show it off to you or to anybody. People around the world can see it. And if we're honest, um, I think humans have been into flexing or showing off, you know, who they are for generations, right? Whether it's the clothes you wear, the car you drive, 
a handbag for women, hats. Um, and it's not always about luxury, right? But it could be like the sports team that you're into. Um, people like to show off. And this is a new way for us to do that, for us to flex and say, hey, look what I have. Look what I'm into. Um, I think all tickets to sporting events and conferences and things like that will be NFTs, will be digital tokens in the future. And we'll be able to uh, like go look at each, other, each other's wallet and be like, oh my gosh, you saw... Um, you know, I don't know, some famous, you saw The Weeknd or Billy Joel or whatever in concert in, uh, you know, in London and I saw him in, in New York. That's crazy. Like in this year or whatever, like we'd be able to be able to see what people have gone to, what experiences we've been involved with. And, um, right now I, I think as investments, they're really interesting too, because they're very limited. Um, you know, the idea of something being non-fungible means that it's not, directly easily transferable to something else. So if I buy a piece of art that's one of 100 or one of 1000, there's mm -hmm. only that many in the world and we can trace exactly, we know that's true because of the blockchain, because we can see exactly how many were created um, by the artist, uh, who bought them originally, and then how many are out there, who owns what, and you can make offers, you can buy them and be secure. If mm -hmm. long as you're doing your research and you're looking at the right things, in knowing that you're buying the right thing, and nobody can really take that away from you as long as you take you take measures or precautions to keep yourself safe, because there is a lot of fraud activity out there right now. Um, you got to kind of keep your keys, don't share your password, don't click on bad links, uh, links from anybody that you don't know, that kind of thing. Um, but otherwise, like you own that asset, nobody can take it away, and um, as it's limited. And as time goes on, it may become more and more valuable. But again, uh, I would say none of this is financial advice. I have no idea where all of this is going. I think on a macro level, NFTs are absolutely going to change the world. And we're all going to be, all assets are going to be digital. Not all assets, but many, many assets will be digital in the next you know, 10, 20 years. But on a micro level, there are a lot of things coming out right now that are interesting and exciting that may eventually be worthless. Um, and other things that may be worth a lot in the long run. We just don't know yet. One thing that, that really stood out was the ownership beat in terms of owning it. And um, someone who's, someone who's uh, a bit skeptical might, 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 might say, let, let's say, for example, Jack Dorsey's tweet, which, which went for about $2.5 million. Um, that tweet is, I can't remember the person who bought it, but I know it still sits um, on Twitter's, server it's, it's that particular url that will point you to that do, do you think the person really owns it yeah i don't know i have a hard time with that whole idea of like buying jack dorsey's first tweet i i guess mm -hmm. um it depends on what is written into the contract or the smart contract mm -hmm. that is that is behind okay. that um to say that like you own the rights to this if if you buy it mm -hmm. um but i do think there's a lot of interesting opportunities there um, you know, to buy the rights to different things, certain things. Um, we're seeing a lot of things becoming digitized. Uh, you know, recently I saw that uh, John Lennon's son was selling some things from the Beatles that were digitized, <laughs> right? And, um, you know, it's not the actual thing, but it's a digital version of that. It's kind of a representation and, you know, they won't be selling that again. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of cool things there. Uh, the tweet, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of that one's a little bit that one's a little bit tough for me. There, there are definitely a lot of things in this space. I still don't, even though I've been studying it for 
nine months, mm-hmm. 10 months deep, like in deep, like doing all kinds of, and trying a lot of things. Still a lot of things I don't completely understand. Okay. You know, why might that be so valuable? But um, obviously, thing if if people are willing to pay $2.5 million or whatever for something, then it does have value, yep. right? So the market mm-hmm. determines the value. Mm-hmm. When it comes Andy has another podcast, My NFT Journey. The podcast is in all digital streaming platforms. What is the podcast about? I'm sharing a lot of my own journey through NFTs, as well as uh, trying to educate other people along the way. So teaching lessons. Um, you do not have to be an expert. You can be a beginner. And uh, you know anything that I mention on there, I usually try to explain it. I've had some great guests, as well as some episodes I've done on my own, just explaining, okay, here are the things I've done. Here are things I've invested in. You know, Here's what I'm seeing and experiencing. Um, here's how to, how to avoid being scammed or, or, you know, fraud, that sort of thing. I, I try to teach a lot of that stuff on the okay. show. Yeah, that's amazing. So check out Andy's My NFT Journey. So I believe just, we can have a quick lesson on Yellowtip. Time to drop some nuggets for someone who wants to start. Start with those wishing to buy, then you can talk about the creators. First of all, do not rush. You don't need to rush into anything, right? Take your time to learn. Uh, so listen to my podcast. Uh, go search YouTube for videos about NFTs. Uh, Gary V has some great stuff. He's the like the person who got me into NFTs was Gary Vaynerchuk or Gary V. He's got a ton of great content on his website and on uh, on YouTube. Um, Tom Billu is another guy I follow who has some good videos on on YouTube. There's a ton of stuff out there, right? Like really dive in and and try to do 20, 30, 40 hours of research and learning about this because it is a very complicated, complex subject. Um, and then if you want to dip your toe in the world, uh, in the water as a, a investor or collector, you want to buy some Ethereum, which is a cryptocurrency and a platform on which NFTs are uh, essentially built and, and you can use to buy them. Um, and so you need to find a platform that allow you to do that. For me, I use Coinbase here in the US. I don't know if that's available, you know, where you are, so Dixon, so it might be something else, right? Um, but use a, something like a Coinbase mm-hmm. and buy some Ethereum, you know, based on however much you can afford, right? Two, three, four, five hundred dollars worth. And then uh, you can get on to uh, OpenSea, which is OpenSea is kind of like the the eBay of NFTs. It's O-P-E-N-S-E-A dot I-O. But there's also millions and like maybe even billions of NFTs on there, right? So it's hard to just go on there and find something. Uh, the better place to go is Twitter. And just start, uh, Twitter should be like part of your research because the whole NFT world is on Twitter. So if you get on Twitter and just start following different people in the NFT space, you can follow me. Um, I'll be retweeting some stuff, having conversations with people and um, just start learning and seeing what terms are being, you know, being tossed around and maybe find a project that somebody's recommending. If you've kind of followed them and you trust them, then, and you've got some Ethereum, some ETH, um, maybe you can dip your toe in the water and go buy something for, um, you know, I think including transaction fees and stuff, the cheapest you're probably going to get into something is going to be around $200 us maybe right now. Um, and then yeah, obviously everything goes up from there. So do what only what you can afford, especially only spend money that you can afford to lose because it might go to zero. Um, but it might go up too. You just, you don't really know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I like the I like the caution there. You might lose, so make sure you put in money. You know, you're willing to lose as well. <laughs> but the cool thing is, it's a very very global economy, right? Mm-hmm. There's no because the NFT world is so decentralized. A lot of people are anonymous. 
Um, you know, I'm, uh, a lot of the NFT world is on Twitter, I mentioned, but also in Discord, which is like a social platform for every project that people use to communicate. I'm communicating with people every day and I have no idea where they live. They could be in Australia or Africa or Asia. It doesn't matter, right? And it's a 24-hour, 7, you know, 7, 24-7 uh, kind of marketplace. It's mm-hmm. just always, always going. I think that part of it is really cool. And that kind of leads into where we're going with the metaverse, which is, you know, a way that allows us, you know, with you being in Kenya, me being in the US, we could have friends in the UK, in Germany, in Australia, in Japan, and we could all be hanging out in one place, right? Yeah, and it's, yeah. I think that's one of the cool things about it. I think it's really going to hopefully allow us to, you know, come closer as as a, and a world society, right? And, and build a stronger and more united culture. Definitely. I, I like I like that, that, uh, that vision in terms of creating that experience where we, we come together. So Andy, when you spoke about OpenSea, I got the impression you spoke about mainly for the person buying the, you know, sort of collecting the NFTs. Just a bit of a summary on someone who wants to create. So for the creators, yeah. how can they how can they benefit from this NFT world? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of opportunities. Sorry, I was going to go there. You're right. Um, so if you're a collect, you're a collector, buy some Ethereum and look at OpenSea. There's also another platform. There's several other platforms, but uh, one that's trying to compete with them now is called LooksRare. L o o k s r a r e dot o r g. I think is their website. Looks mm-hmm. rare. It's another platform to be buying NFTs. Um, if you're an artist or a creator, uh, then definitely look into creating NFTs. Go watch some videos on YouTube. Uh, it's a very simple process, from what I understand. I have not yet created anything. It's been on my mind. Something I'm thinking about doing. Um, but I think you can go to OpenSea or Looks Rare. There's other sites like Rarible and follow a process on there to create. Basically take art that you already have, whether it's digital art, uh, maybe a photo, um, a painting, whatever, and digitize it and then mint it. You have to, what's called mint it on the blockchain so that it's on there. I think you will pay a little bit of money in order to get set up and and mint on the blockchain, maybe a couple hundred dollars, I'm not sure. Um, And then you can put something up for sale and people can buy it, right? But keep in mind that, there's billions of, you know, there's millions of things being thrown around, like created every day. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't make connections, you don't do any marketing, there's not a great chance that, you know, it's not a very good chance people, somebody's going to find it and buy it, right? It's kind of like the same thing. I published a book and I put it on Amazon, which has a global marketplace. But unless I market it, no one's going to find that book and buy it, right? So like I'm constantly marketing my book, talking mm-hmm. to people, doing podcast interviews like this, mm-hmm. because that's how people are going to find the book. It's the same with NFTs. I've got a local art, uh, lo- uh, a local friend here in central Florida where I live, uh, who is an artist who just quit his job as a teacher to become a full-time, go full-time in NFTs. And I interviewed him recently for the NFT podcast. It's not out yet. It's coming out in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Tim Livingston and he goes by Vectorbot Tim on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, and Instagram, V-E-C-T-O-R-B-O-T-T-I-M, Vectorbot Tim. Um, the reason I mention him is because he has been uh, doing a good job of like tracking his journey on Twitter and Instagram and sharing like all of his lessons learned as being, you know, being a creator. And so if you are someone who aspires to be a creator, uh, I would suggest following him. He's doing a great job. He's building a small community. Um, he's selling some art as NFTs. I've bought one of his pieces. 
I've seen other people buy his pieces. And I think because he's out there building relationships, doing it the right way. Everything that uh, Andy has mentioned will definitely put them down on the show notes. So make sure you check them out. Links to the OpenSea, everything. And also link to his podcast. Andy, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. This is really amazing in terms of the diversity, in terms of also the information that uh, you've put across. I think we, we got to a lot of great subjects, Dixon. It's been, it's been great for me. I appreciate you inviting me on and, and love having these conversations and sharing. I hope that it does help and inspire someone. Um, the last thing I would leave people with is uh, remember that Nobody cares more about your career than you do. You know, if you're lucky, uh, you have a, a, a your mother or father probably love you and care about you and what you do, right? Maybe if you're really lucky, you have a manager in your job who cares about you. Um, but still, no, at the end of the day, nobody cares more about your career than you do. So if you want to go somewhere, you want to do something with your career, you want to become an artist and dabble in something, get into NFTs, like it's up to you to understand who you are, to set that vision, to make a plan, to set goals and start taking action. Don't wait for anybody else. Uh, you own your career. Uh, and so it's up to you to go out and uh, and find success. I, I see why you are actually a speaker now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, where can someone get your book? So you mentioned it's on Amazon. It's on your career, on your life. I love the poster at the back there. It's really amazing. How, how, how can people get in touch with you? So the book is on Amazon, uh, which is, you know, most places around the world, not everywhere, but um, that's the primary place. I also have a website ownyourcareerownyourlife.com. And we have some great bonus resources on there, including uh, the five steps to owning your career, uh, the three questions to ask anytime you face a big challenge, um, the five most common career mistakes. Those are all available at ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus, ownyourcareerownyourlife.com slash bonus. And as far as getting in touch with me, we talked about LinkedIn. Uh, that's where you and I met. So um, feel free to reach out, connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know you heard me on Dixon's podcast. I also share a lot of my journey on Instagram, uh, Andy underscore Storch. And I'm on Twitter just about every day talking about NFTs. Uh, and my handle there is also Andy Storch. So come find me and say hi. This was quite an insightful episode. To get more on the information tackled, listen to his podcast and check out his book. These are Talent Development Hot Seat Podcast and Own Your Career Podcast for career-related topics and My NFT Journey Podcast for the NFT world. Uh, I really enjoy listening to your podcast. I think I'm religiously following it. <laughs> um, the talent development and it's really amazing. I've learned a lot from from just listening to it and um, applying the things that you mentioned, you talk about them. I mean, that's how we got cool. to, you know, to meet. And I really appreciate yeah. sp spending the time to talk to me and share this particular knowledge. Thank you so much, Andy. Thanks for listening to Yellow Tip. Be sure to check out acute.co.ke and join the tribe. Also, leave a review, whatever you're listening to. For more information about Mr. Andy Storch, links to his book and links to his podcast, check out the episode's show notes. That's all for this installment. Our next episode, we will feature financial management guru to help us make critical financial decisions. Major thanks to the creators of this podcast and most importantly, you, the tapers. Here, let us toast to these and many more. Hopefully, you have raised your imaginary glass with me.